0: Well, Youth Alive, I was um, in the Youth Alive growing up as a young person, as a youth who was alive and uh, we had great times. In fact, <clears throat> when I was about that age, about 15 or 16, I had a burning question. I don't know if you have burning questions. You know, they're the kinds of questions that you just need to do anything you possibly can to find out the answer to. Yes, you have questions like that? When you're 15, 16, you've got a lot of questions like that. I had one in particular, and I decided we, we had an after-church party one Sunday evening at a friend's place, barbecue, BYO, meat and that sort of thing. And this question had been burning on my mind and heart for a long time. So I decided tonight was the night that I was going to find out an answer once and for all. Could you cook a sausage in the microwave as well as you could do it on a barbecue. Now, keep in mind I was a 15-year-old boy with um, not a whole lot of experience, no experience with a microwave <laughs> or any cooking anything. Um, but I, I had this burning question. Could you cook a sausage as well in a microwave as you could on a barbecue? So I decided to give it a go. I put a very singular sausage on a plate. I didn't didn't want to waste it. (laughs) I'd bought these sausages with my own hard-earned sandwich artist money and uh, so I didn't want to waste them but I did want to find out the answer to this question. So a singular sausage on a plate in the microwave, my friend's microwave um, for five minutes to see what would happen. And... Well, you know, five minutes isn't that long, is it? <laughs> it's only a few minutes. So, anyway, anyway, okay. So, I knew that you had to wait until it beeped in order to go and get the food out. So, that's what I did. And um, I, I went and I opened the door and I could smell it was cooking. It smelled like a cooked sausage. I thought, this is going to be good. Okay. So, I, I opened the door and I looked at it and it didn't look cooked. It, it just looked really, really undercooked and raw. I was like, what's the go here? Maybe it needs more time. So I shut the door, put it in for another five minutes. Because, you know, ten minutes, it would probably take ten minutes on the barbie, so it makes sense that it would take ten minutes in the microwave, wouldn't it? So anyway, I put it in for another ten minutes. I just, I'll wait, I'll wait till it beeps again. I came back into the kitchen, and um, I, I knew something had happened this time because there was smoke. <laughs> Um, coming through. I could still smell. It was smelt like a sausage. Yeah, yeah. I, I opened the door and um, it just. Once I would <laughs> cleared the smoke <laughs> out of the way, I was still confused because it still didn't look cooked. It it still looked really undercooked. I knew something had happened. There was smoke. There was the smell, but I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. So I put it in for another couple of minutes. And this time I decided it would be best, because of the smoke, to probably stay in the room. I thought that would be a, a good idea. I, the last thing I wanted to do was undercook a sausage, okay? I knew that that was, that was dangerous. Undercooked sausages can make you sick. And I wanted to be responsible with food. So 12 minutes in the microwave, I thought that should do it. That should do it. I, I didn't get the full way through the two minutes. Uh, about one minute into the extra two minutes, smoke started coming out the door and out the surrounds of the microwave, and I thought, oh, this is bad, okay, I'm going to just stop it there. So I pressed the stop button, opened the door, cleared the smoke, <coughs> like this, and, and it still didn't look that cooked. And I was thinking, what is going on? This thing should be cooked by now, stupid sausage. So I thought, okay, I'll finish it off on the barbecue. Sounds, I know the barbecue can do it, all right? I've done it on the barbecue before. So I got it out. I had to get mitts and, and stuff because it was so hot. The plate was hot. So I got the plate out, got the sausage out, went to put it on the barbecue, and the weirdest thing happened. I went to pick up this sausage, and it didn't feel like a sausage anymore. <laughs> this thing, it, it looked undercooked, but like it was like rock hard, rock hard, I tell you. It was the strangest thing to look at this undercooked sausage and to actually feel it, it was rock hard. So I knew I couldn't eat it anymore, but I had paid for it. So I needed to put it to some use of some sort. But what do you do with a undercooked looking sausage that's rock hard and you can't eat anymore. Um, so I decided to crack it open to see what was, what was going on on the inside. So you can imagine me at this party with this undercooked looking sausage in my hands, trying to <laughs> break it in half. I eventually snapped it in half and on the inside it was black. It was black. And it was like burnt toast. It was like that, you know, just ch- just charcoal. And um, so I couldn't eat it. I couldn't. I couldn't give it away. I couldn't trick anyone into eating it. Um, so uh, my friends and I just used it to draw our names on the on the driveway. But um, so you had, had to use it somehow. I don't. I wouldn't recommend that. That took a long time to get out of the driveway. Um, But we called it sausage chalk and we (laughs) called it an invention and and that's my story. (laughs) You see, sometimes we have these burning questions that we need to find out the answer to. But some questions are only small and insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Other questions though are really big ones. And the answers to the really big questions can actually shape our lives and the trajectory of our lives. I'll leave you to decide which question the sausage one fell into, which category of question. That's what this series is about. It's about the big questions, not the little ones, the big ones. Answers to which actually shape our lives and the way that we do faith and the way that we do life together. So the question that I got this evening, as, as Steve said, we did a survey, and you guys voted on the, your popular ones, and, and I got the second most popular question tonight for the 5 p.m. service. It was number one in the morning, and you guys chose it as your number two in the evening. Do you know what it was? It was, can a Christian lose their salvation? Woo, can a Christian lose their salvation? Wow, that's a That's a good question. That's a big question. Big question. Do you want to know the answer? I suppose that's why you're here. All right, well, I'll give you the answer. Okay, here we go. This question I have had for several months. And this question I have done lots of reading and listening and watching and absorbing and praying and researching into, and what I can tell you is that there are as many different answers to this question as there are books or podcasts or sermons or whatever that you can find to try and ask, because it's a tricky question to answer. And it's a tricky question. I'll tell you why it's so tricky in just a moment. But there are two reasons, mainly, that we would ask this question in the first place. I will say that mainly it's Christians who ask this question, That's the number one thing. And so, I'm going to answer this question tonight. And um, if you're not quite in that place yet of being a follower of Jesus, then I hope that it's still going to be encouraging to you and inspiring to you and help inform you about what we believe and what we talk about and that sort of thing. But mainly Christians ask this question and they ask it for two reasons. The first reason is relational. We ask this question, can a Christian lose their salvation because... A lot of us have known somebody that at one time or another in their lives were a Christian and maybe called themselves a Christian and behaved from all counts as a Christian and were a Christian, but if you look at their lives now, their lives don't necessarily reflect Jesus or they don't reflect the life that a Christian normally would be expected to reflect the values or the, the choices, the lifestyle, the decisions made, or maybe even, they, maybe even they don't even believe in God anymore. So we ask this question, can a Christian lose their salvation because out of love, out of, out of concern for our friends and our family who are in this position, we want to know. second reason we ask this big question is personal. Believe it or not, I think... I think every Christian, in the back of their mind, every now and again, has the little thought, I wonder if there's something that I could do, or am at risk of doing, that would put my eternity, that would put my salvation at risk somehow. I think that little voice is at the back of our minds. Every now and again, it just it comes out. For instance... For instance, we go through perhaps this, this weekly cycle maybe of, of um, coming to Jesus and asking for his forgiveness for the sin in our lives, which is really good. And then we accept him into our hearts and, and, and that's fantastic and life is great and it's going really well. But then on Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, there's a kid at school who wants to hang out with us at lunch we don't really like them. We find them really annoying. And so we make up some other excuse, some little white lie maybe and, um, to get out of it. And, but then we feel really bad. And so next Sunday comes along and, and we feel convicted about the sin in our life. And so we come back to Jesus and we ask his forgiveness for our sin and we accept him into our lives again, which is all good um, and we're all good again. But then on Tuesday, something else happens. Or on Saturday, something else happens. And we live in this cycle where it's almost as if we believe that our lives are this like white canvas and they've been marked by the blemishes of our life. And Jesus comes along in his grace and he makes that pure white again, which is absolutely amazing. But whenever we kind of put dirt back on it, We're kind of we need to ask his forgiveness again to make it all white again. And and if if for some reason, some tragic reason we were our lives were to end suddenly, and we were to get to the pearly gates or whatever you imagine, and our canvas isn't perfectly white at the time of judgment, that somehow our eternity would be at risk. And so we live this, almost this paranoid life ritual of trying to make sure that absolutely everything in our life is all the, all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed, and everything is perfect. And so we are limited in our life by this voice in the back of our minds that says, can a Christian lose their salvation? So there are the two reasons, relational, Personal. Here's my answer. Are you ready? Now, I'm just going to say this. My answer to this question is my best shot at answering this. Based on everything that I've read, based on everything that I've listened to, and all this information from all different viewpoints, and my reading of the Scripture and the New Testament, and my praying over it, I'm just going to give you my best shot. Is that all right? It means that it is my opinion we won't necessarily know for sure until we get to heaven, okay? So there might be people in this room that may not exactly agree with absolutely everything that I'm about to say, but you know what? I think that's okay. I think that's cool. And I think that if you and I both believe that Jesus died for us, that he rose again, that we've accepted him into our lives, that you and I will be in eternity together and we can discover the answers to these questions for real, when we get there. Is that alright? But for now, I'm just going to give you my best shot at it. Here we go. I believe the New Testament particularly is actually quite clear. And in fact, the more I read it, the more clear and the more I understand this to be true. Is that when somebody believes in Jesus, when they accept that he died for them and rose again, when they've accepted Him into their lives and have committed their lives to Him, that they are saved from an eternity without God and that can never be taken away from them. And I believe we can be confident in that. I believe if you're a Christian tonight, if you have done those things that I've just said and have accepted Jesus, that you can be 100% confident in your salvation. And here's why. A bloke called John. John was one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, John was perhaps his closest friend while he here on earth. In fact, he's probably the human being that knew Jesus better than just about any other human being who ever walked the earth, maybe apart from his mum. But John was really close to Jesus, okay? So what he says about Jesus is pretty reliable. He wrote a few letters. And in one of those letters, 1 John, we read this. He he writes this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Remember, this is one of Jesus' absolute closest friends. And he is writing to people who believe in the name of the Son of God. So, in other words... Christians, people who follow Jesus, and he writes to them. Why? Not so that they can hope to have eternal life or that they can aim to one day have eternal life or try really hard to have eternal life. No, he writes to them so that they may know that they have eternal life. John's saying, we can be confident, not just not just a little bit encouraged, but actually confident in our eternities. And there's three reasons, I think, three main reasons why we can be confident. First reason we can be confident is that we are sealed and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Sealed and guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. Let me explain. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, we believe that God imparts into us His Holy Spirit and that He lives inside of us. And as we heard in the last series in Made for More, the the Holy Spirit brings with so many awesome things, courage and sound mind and and compassion and fruit that we see coming out in our lives and gifts that we didn't have before. Um, But the other thing that the Holy Spirit does for us is that He seals us and He guarantees our eternity. The Apostle Paul wrote about this. In fact, he wrote about it quite a few times. It was one of his favourite topics. He actually wrote maybe three or four times to different churches. So he really believed this. And in the book of Ephesians, he wrote this. He said, "...and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation... When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So when we believe in Jesus, we are marked in him with a seal. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and it's like a seal, a stamp of ownership that God has on our life. It's like God is signing his name on our souls. It's like a branding with an iron that we can't get rid of. It's, it's, we become God's. We become God's family. We become God's people. The Holy Spirit seals us. But Paul actually goes on and he says, the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to praise of His glory. So not only are we sealed by the Holy Spirit and we have God's name stamped on our hearts, but we are actually guaranteed. Our inheritance is guaranteed. The Holy Spirit is like a deposit. Now, you know what a deposit is, don't you? It's like when you want to purchase something, but you can't quite complete the transaction yet, for whatever reason. And so, you put a deposit on it, normally something of value, and that demonstrates that you are really, you are serious about coming back for that. As soon as you can complete the transaction, you'll be back for it, you'll claim it, and it reserves it for you. Nobody else has access to that anymore. It's reserved for you. Paul is saying that when the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, that He seals us with God's name, but also He's like a deposit on our lives. And God can't quite complete the transaction yet, otherwise we'd be dead. <laughs> but, but as soon as it's time for you and I, To have that transaction completed, we are reserved for Him because He's paid that deposit. Something of supreme value, a part of Himself as a deposit on our lives. So that is reserved for Him. Pretty special, hey? So we are sealed and we are guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. The second reason why we can be so confident in our salvation is that we are um, secured... We are held, secured, protected by the Son and the Father. Have a listen to what Jesus said about people who follow him. He said this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand." So Jesus is saying, when we accept him as our shepherd, when we decide that we are going to follow Jesus, he holds us in his hand so tightly that nobody can ever remove us. And not only that, he adds to that. He says, if that's not good enough for you, (laughs) my father has big hands too. And he's holding you so tightly that nobody can take you out of his hand either. So, we have God in His entirety. Spirit, Son, and Father. Who secure us. As soon as we accept Him into our lives. Our eternities are secured by the entirety and the wholeness of God. We are sealed by His Spirit. We are guaranteed by His Spirit. We are held by the nail-scarred hands of our Saviour. We are held by the very same hands that created the universe. That's pretty convincing, isn't it? (laughs) I would suggest we can be pretty confident that there's not a whole lot we can do to lose our salvation. But if you're still not sure, I think there's a third reason too. As a third reason, and that's this, that we are saved by grace and not by works. We talk about this a fair bit here at Door of Hope because this is the main part of who we are. This is our message. This is the good news about Jesus, is that our salvation has got nothing to do with what we do or don't do. Our salvation has everything to do with what Jesus did for us. There is nothing that you and I can do, believe it or not, that can make us any more saved than we are. And there is nothing that you and I can do, believe it or not, that can make us any less saved than we are. Because it's got nothing to do with what you and I do or don't do, it's got everything to do with what Jesus did for us. And I am so glad. Oh man, I am so thankful for that. Aren't you thankful that we are saved by the grace of God and not by anything that we can do? Nothing at all we can do. That's such. That's mind-blowing when you think about it, isn't it? That is unbelievable. That, that no matter how bad it gets, there's nothing that we can do that will uncrucify Jesus. There is nothing that you and I can do, and if we think otherwise, that's probably pretty arrogant. (laughs) When you think about it, there is nothing you and I can do that can take away what Jesus did on the cross for us. And that is His gift to us. That's His gift to us. So we can be confident we have all of God behind us. And... Our salvation isn't based on what you and I do anyway. It's only based on what Jesus did. But you know what? I reckon that's actually the easy part. That's the easy part of the question because there's a bit of a curlier part to the question. And that is what about our friends? What about those friends, those family members, or the people that we know who once upon a time looked like a Christian and were a Christian? But, but now when we observe their lives, they show no outward sign that they follow Jesus anymore. And maybe they even say that they don't follow Jesus anymore. What happens to those people? Have they lost their salvation? Well, I said it was tricky. And it's tricky for a reason. And it's tricky. The reason why it's so tricky for us is because it's not actually up to us. <laughs> It's never been up to us, and it's not meant to be up to us. And so that's why it's so tricky to answer this part of the question, because we're not God. <laughs> but I can answer it in this way. I think when it comes to these people, often in my experience and my observation, people like this fall into two categories. And I think this is a good way for us to help get our minds around it a little bit, Okay. So the first category of these people were people that perhaps at the time genuinely made a commitment to Jesus. In their heart of hearts, they were committing to Jesus. They repented of their wrongdoing, of their turning away from Him. They accepted what He did for them in their lives. And, and, but over time, for whatever reason, maybe for lots and lots of reasons, they gradually drifted away from Him. And maybe it's was, it was like a, a coal in the fire that drops out and becomes cooler and cooler and cooler. And for whatever reason, these days, their lifestyle doesn't reflect that of perhaps it once did. Well, you know, I, I, I truly believe, due to everything that we've just talked about and everything that we read in the New Testament, that that seal that we get, When we accept Jesus into our lives, that seal that is stamped by the Holy Spirit on our lives, that's still there. That it may have faded over time, and maybe you and I try and look at that seal and it's a bit faded and we can't even read the name on that anymore. But you know what? I believe God knows his own stamp. I believe God can recognize his own signature when he sees it. Even if you and I can't anymore. And I believe there are people in this world who might not look like a Christian much these days. Maybe they don't do all the things that we do, but who will still be spending time in eternity with us because of the pure grace of God. But I think there's another category of people as well. And I think that category of people, maybe that person looked like a Christian. Maybe they spoke like a Christian. Maybe they sang like a Christian. Maybe they prayed like a Christian. Maybe they did everything from the outside that looked like a Christian, except for the one thing that you have to do to be a Christian, and that is to really accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour in your heart. I think there are people, and... I think it's possible, in fact, that there are people in our church today, maybe even people in this room, who kind of go through the motions of being a Christian, who behave like a Christian, who look and do all the right things that a Christian should do, but have never actually really accepted Jesus as their Lord and Saviour in their heart. Our mate John, who wrote the letters, who's Jesus' bestie, he wrote this. He wrote this about these kinds of people, right? He wrote, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. In other words, perhaps some people were never really Christian in the first place. Deep down. But you know what? As I said, this question is so hard because it's not actually up to us. And this is probably the most important thing to remember out of this whole message. Is that you and I do not have the authority or the ability to judge. You and I cannot stand there and say to somebody else, whether they are out or in, we can't say whether they're a real Christian or a fake Christian. <laughs> we can't judge. Only God can judge. And there are only two people in the world who know what's going on in someone's heart. And that's them and God. The Bible says this. The Bible says that you and I, we only look at the outside appearance, but it's God who looks at the heart. And so you and I can't judge. Only the man, only the man with nails in his hands who died for the sins of the world only he has the authority and the ability to judge. That's what makes answering this question so difficult. <laughs> but we can do some other things because I'm sure most of us probably know people that are in this circumstance. So we can do these three things. We can love them. Never stop loving your friends, your family members. It doesn't matter whether they were a Christian once upon a time, and they don't do that anymore, if they decided otherwise, or they never were in the first place, or what, whatever situation they're in, God has never stopped loving them. God has never stopped loving you, no matter what you've done. God's never stopped loving me, no matter what I've done. He's never stopped loving them. And so we shouldn't stop loving them either. We should never stop showing love to people in our lives. Even if they disagree with us, even if they don't believe the same things as we do. Secondly, we should never stop inviting. We will never know if it's the very next invitation that's going to be the one that's going to be accepted and for a life to be changed. We don't know if it's the next one. (laughs) What if you were, were... The tragedy of stopping one invitation away from changing the course of someone's eternity. Imagine how tragic that would be. Never stop inviting. You never know if it's the next one that's going to be life-changing for somebody. Never stop loving, never stop inviting, and never stop praying. You and I believe in a God of miracles, don't we? And no matter how impossible it might seem for somebody who is maybe in this position that we're talking about, maybe it might seem impossible for them to ever Return to Jesus. It might be impossible for them to ever reconnect with the church, or maybe they've experienced too much hurt, or maybe they've experienced just too much bad stuff in their lives, and they've just got too much of a negative opinion on things, or whatever it is. It might seem impossible, but nothing is impossible with our great God, and so we should never stop praying. You know, He's the God who leaves the 99 behind to chase after the one. He's the God who recklessly gives out love even though he knows that it's not always going to come back to him. He's the God who said it's his will that none should perish. He loves our friends and our family more than we do. We should never stop praying.